0: Continuing our study here, uh, Life of David and Psalms, if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is uh, we go back and read about what was happening in David's life, and then we go read the correlating Psalms that he wrote during that time. So it's neat to see what was really going on. And then we go see what was going on in his heart. So tonight we're going to do three different psalms. And it all deals around this 1 Samuel 22-23 area. So uh, I wasn't here last Wednesday. We took a little bit of time for our anniversary and for some family stuff. Rich filled in I got a chance to listen to the message. So I thought he did a great job. Uh, he did a topical, so we're back on track here tonight with David. So if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago... We left off here in 1 Samuel 22, and what happened in 1 Samuel 22 is David was running and hiding in a cave. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. And so what happened is he's hiding in the cave because Saul is trying to kill him. Now, three weeks ago, what happened was is David started running from Saul, and we talked about how David was running in fear and not having faith, and he goes to the priest in 1 Samuel 21. He lies to the priest about what's going on. Well, any time you sin it comes back to bite you. It really does. And you know, and that's a tough, tough lesson to learn because sometimes I've seen in my life, my sin sometimes doesn't affect me as much as it affects either my kids or my wife or something like that. And it really hurts to see when I do something wrong, other people paying the price and paying the consequences. And what you see here in 1 Samuel 21, David lied to the priest, and there's this little verse in there in 1 Samuel 21, verse 7, where we're introduced to this guy by the name of Noeg. Now, Doeg, if you're making a list of bad guys in the Bible, Doeg's got to be in the top five. I mean, he just has to be. And what Doeg does here in 1 Samuel 22 is Saul comes now to the priest and says, Hey, David was with you, wasn't he? And the priest says, Yeah, David was here, but we have no idea what he was doing. He just said, David's here. And he said, Oh, this is David. Remember David? He's married to the king's daughter. He's a great war hero. We have nothing to worry about. It's David. Well, Saul says, nope, you guys are helping David. You are going behind my back. You are doing all this. And so what happens is Saul, in a moment of frustration and flesh and anger, says, kill all the priests. Now you've got to stop and think there for a second. Here's the king of Israel. This is a theocracy, well, it's supposed to be a theocracy, ruled by God, and how the king of Israel is saying, let's kill all the priests, well, Saul's soldiers were a smart group of people, and they said, we're not doing this. Verse 17, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. So now, in verse 18, the king says to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. See, Doeg was not a Jew. He was an Edomite. So this whole connection between the priest and Jehovah and God, yeah, he didn't care. So what happens? Verse 18, so Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men war than an ephod. So Doag just goes systematically and just takes them all down one by one by one. Now we don't know what happened, but I remember one time seeing a movie about this situation and the way they presented it, you could see it happening. They had all the priests lined up. Saul's out there yelling at them. None of them will say what's going on and Doag just goes right in front of each one and just thrusts the sword right in them. It's a horribly sad day. Horribly sad day in the history of Israel here. And Doag goes and kills all the priests one of them escapes verse 20 by the name of Abathar and he becomes somebody very important here through the rest of 1st Samuel and 2nd Samuel so Doag goes and kills all of them well this puts David on the run again so David runs and he in verse excuse me in chapter 23 he goes and he runs well what happens is he's on the run there's this little town by the name of Keilah that's getting attacked by the Philistines so David goes to the Lord should I defend this city and God says yeah go so David goes and routes the Philistines And he defends and takes care of the city of Keilah. Well, David's still on the run. Saul's chasing him down. Now we're in 1 Samuel 23, verse 14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Zip. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul is after him all the time. David's out of the cave. He's now in the wilderness. And what happens here in 1 Samuel 23 is now the people of Zip... They turn on David. They go to Saul and say, hey, by the way, we know where David's at. So David, excuse me, Saul sends all his army here after David, thinking they're going to find him, thinking they're going to catch him. It's just like a movie. They have him encircled, and David isn't there. So what we have here in the chapters tonight, we have David on the run, and we have Doeg going out and killing 85 of the priests. We have David trying to help the city of Keilah, and he ends up hiding in the wilderness because Saul's trying to kill him. And then we have the people turning on David and turning him in. I mean, it's just a movie after movie after movie. What's going through this guy's mind? Well, that's the beauty of what we have here in these Psalms is we get a chance to see what's going on in David's mind as he's being chased down. I mean, imagine being chased down by somebody who just wants to kill you and has every military resource available to track you down. And that's what Saul is trying to do. And Saul is not going to let anybody get in his way. Priests get in the way, I'll take them out, all 85 of them. David, for being such a warrior and having such a heart of a warrior, was still, I think, kind of a softy a little bit. And it obviously affected him. 85 priests died because of what happened there. And so what's going through his mind? Well, it's now going to the book of Psalms here. first one we're going to go to is Psalm 52. Keep your hand here in uh, 1 Samuel 22 and 23 because we'll be making references back to that. But with this background of what's going on, what's going through David's mind? Psalm 52. It says, To the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doag the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. So what's going through David's mind? This man just killed 85 priests because David was there talking to him. Why you boast in evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness, Sila, which means stop. Pause. Think about it. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away, pluck you out of your dwelling place, and uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. The righteous also shall see in fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, who strengthened himself in his wickedness. Now i got to be honest with you, I like this song. Because haven't you ever felt this way about somebody? I know you guys are all better believers than I am, but I've felt this way about people before where you're just so angry. It's like, Lord, just teach them a lesson. Lord, just you show them their pride and their arrogance and their ignorance. And you're just so angry about it. Now, I don't think anybody here has ever had somebody chase you down with a sword and killed 85 people because you just were there. But you all have somebody you work with, know, maybe live with, that frustrates you to the point of this, and you can see this, but look what David does. First thing I would always like to look at this is, it's not wrong to be angry. It's wrong to let anger control you. And I think sometimes as Christians we forget that. I'm allowed to get upset, I'm allowed to get frustrated, I'm allowed to be angry, but I cannot let that frustration or that anger control me. When that frustration and anger controls me, then I'm in sin. But I can be angry and sin not, as the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. David is angry. He has every right to be angry. Eighty-five priests were killed by this dog, Doeg. David has a right to be ticked about this. David has a right to be angry, but look what David does. David goes and gives this man over to the Lord. That's the key. David didn't say, I'm going to take up a sword. David didn't say, vengeance is mine. David said, God, you take care of this person. That's the key. Because I see people get angry a lot, and they have a right to be angry. But I see them trying to deal with the anger of themselves and them trying to handle the situation. Get angry, get frustrated, don't let your anger and frustration control you, but give it over to the Lord and let God say, I'm going to take care of it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And look at the last two verses here of this Psalm 52. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it, and in the presence of your saints I will wait on your name, for it is good. See, almost every psalm of David has about three-fourths of it being flesh and anger and ticked. And the last couple verses are like, okay, God, you're right, I need to give this to you, and I'm going to trust you. See, a lot of us stop right after verse 7, and we're like, yeah, I like this. We don't go to verses 8 and 9. See, if you stop after verse 7 you're just as bad as Doeg. You're letting your flesh control you. But when you go to verse 8 and 9, you stop and you say, okay, Lord, I realize it's all you. See, it really hit me. How can David be in the wilderness and still be okay? Because why? Verse 8, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. See, he's in a wilderness time, but he's trusting in the Lord. That's what gets him through it. And look at the word trust there. I trust and the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever. Look at this last phrase, verse 9. I will wait on your name for it is good. Are you patient enough to say, okay, God, you're going to take care of this situation in your time frame and the way you want and how you want it? I trust you in that. David said, I'll trust you. And that's what got him through this. Because there's a lot of anger, it's a lot of fighting. See, stay in Psalms here and go to Psalm 54 says to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David, when the Zippites, these are the guys that turned him in, went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? Now, have you ever been stabbed in the back by somebody? I mean, have you ever just had this person that you trusted, you thought, okay, I can trust them, and they just, boy, they stabbed you in the back. They let you down. They let you down big time. We've all been let down by people. I've been let down by people, and I've let people down. I've been David, and I've also been the Zippites. I've been both. It's interesting. The word zip, this Z I P H, literally means battlement. That this is the group of people they were dealing with, as David saw this as a battle with them. So, what does David think about these people? Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil, cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. See, what is David doing in this one? First off, he's giving it over to the Lord. I know this is just such a repetitive point, but it's a good point to keep repeating. When David faced trials and tribulations, he always gave them over to the Lord. He always gave them over to the Lord. He never once tried to do it on his own. He said, God, I trust you in this. I will let you deal with this. Now, there were times in David's life, though, where he obviously let the flesh get the best of him, and anger and frustration. Do you guys remember the time, the one time, and there's probably more than one, but off the top of my head, there was one time where David let the flesh get the best of him, and he did not wait on the Lord. And I'm not talking about Bathsheba. I'm talking about anger and frustration. Do you guys remember that one? There's this guy by the name of Nabal. Remember him? His name actually translates into fool. And this guy was a fool. And he had this great wife by the name of Abigail. And Nabal just was a real jerk. There's no other way around it. And he crossed paths with David, and he made David mad. You remember what David was going to do? David says, this guy's a fool. I'm just going to go kill him. And what stopped David from killing him? Abigail, the wife. She came and said, I know my husband's a fool. I know he's a jerk. His name means fool. Now, husbands, think about that. Here's the wife saying, he's a fool. His name means fool. He's an idiot. I know he's an idiot. And do you remember what happened to this fool? He died that night by God. See, David was going to take matters into his own hand. He had the sword out. He was going to go do it. Abigail said, just stop. Don't do this. You don't want to do this. This is an unjustified kill, if you will. God will take care of this, and God in his own time frame did. See, we have to learn that, because there's sometimes some times in my life where I give it over to the Lord, and God just really doesn't move quick enough for me. And so since he doesn't move quick enough for me, I take it back and say, well, Lord, since you're kind of stalling on this one, I'll take care of this one. David here in Psalm 54, I'm sure there's a part of David that wanted to go to the Zip Heights and say, Okay, you turn me in? You guys are nothing. But he didn't. Verse 2, hear my prayer, O God. Verse 4, behold, God is my helper. He trusted and he realized that even though zip meant battle meant, this is not David's battle. He had to give this over to the Lord. See, here's the thing. Satan always wants to fight me. Now note that. He wants to fight me. He doesn't want to fight God. And so when he wants to fight me, he knows he can beat me. But he can't beat the Lord that's in me. And a lot of times what happens as Christians is when we let go of God, we take the enemy on or take these situations on -on one-on-one. I'm telling you right now, none of us here tonight have enough strength to defeat the enemy or defeat anything in life. You can't do it. Satan wants to do that. He wants to pull you out of your defensive position with the Lord. He wants to pull you out of that protection of God and say, come, take this situation on. And then we in arrogance and ignorance and pride step out of our safe zone with the Lord and say, yeah, I can do this. And we just have this huge target on our back. Satan wants to fight me, but he doesn't want to fight God in me. And so David here is realizing, I could go take these people on, but I'm stepping out of the will of the Lord. I need to stay in the will of the Lord, realize God is my help, and let him do the fighting for this. Because if David tried to do this on his own, what's going to happen? He's not going to do this. He's not going to do well at all. First, this came to mind here of Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we like to read that verse, and one of my comments I always like to say is let God do all the heavy lifting. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. How often do we carry burdens on our shoulders where God says, let me take care of that. And I wonder how many of you here tonight are listening to this, have a burden on your shoulder and you keep carrying it. It is rubbing your shoulders raw, your neck is sore, and you hate it. But yet you keep carrying this yoke and this burden, and you forget the fact of verse 4, God is my helper. And maybe that yoke and burden is financial worry, it's a worry about the kids, it's a worry about life or job or health or this or that or nervousness, worry, fear, anger. You're carrying the yoke of anger, I don't know. And it's just rubbing your shoulders and neck raw and you can't handle anymore. And God says, I'm your helper, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Quick plug here, I don't know if you get a chance to... Um, Ever read uh, uh, Kelly Gergen's uh, blog there about sufficient grace Ministry, but the last one she put up was about this idea of yoke, and I had a real neat picture there of her uh, son there carrying a yoke on him, and she brought up some good points, and one of the points was that that yoke is easy burden is light, but it's still a yoke and a burden. <laughs> you know, sometimes we look at Christianity and think, "Oh, Christianity, it's just this great little rose garden. everything's going to be great, wonderful and fine and dandy. And it is because we have eternity and salvation in Jesus. But while I'm on this earth, God says, I I would like you to serve me. And the yoke I give you, yes, it is easy and light because I help you carry it. But we still carry a yoke and burden on us. I have a yoke and burden for my wife and my kids in this church and you know what? When my wife or kids or this church hurt, I hurt too. That yoke sometimes hurts. But I realize Christ is carrying that yoke and that burden with me. And David realized at this point, verse 4, God is my helper. Now, I don't know if you're like me. At this point, I usually say, okay, God, if you're my helper, it really ticks me off that these people are getting away with this stuff. Doeg killed 85 priests and seemed to get away with it. The Zippites turned me in, and they seemed to get away with it. Look at verse 5. He will repay my enemies for their evil. God will do that. God will do that. What is David supposed to do? Verse 6, freely sacrifice. He's supposed to praise because God has delivered me out of trouble. Now this all builds us up to the final psalm that we're going to talk about here tonight. Psalm 63. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He's now in the wilderness. This is one of my favorite psalms. Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. No one likes wildernesses. They're fun to visit. No one wants to stay there. Wife and I drove out to uh, California years ago with a guy, and we drove through Death Valley. It was 110 degrees when we drove through Death Valley. Now, at this point in my life, it's kind of cool to say I've been to Death Valley. It was 110 degrees. It was absolutely miserable driving through Death Valley at 110 degrees. We didn't have air conditioning. And we'd go down some of those wildernesses when you get out west there, and we will be like, no food, fuel, whatever, for the next 85 miles. That's not a cool place to be. No one wants to be in the wilderness. Yeah, we may like to drive through it a little bit, or we may say something about, oh, it's kind of neat, but no one wants to go live in the middle of the wilderness. Here's David living in the middle of the wilderness, and what is he saying? I'm thirsty. I'm longing for you. What's the first thing we do when we get in the wilderness times? We ask for the first way out. When you get sick, what's the first thing you do? Other than probably take Advil. It's, Lord, help me. i got a headache here. Lord, I don't feel good. I don't think any of us ever say, Lord... Thank you for this headache. I pray you would use this headache for the glory and the furtherance of the kingdom. No, get rid of the headache. When you're going through a tough time, we never say, Lord, thank you for this tough time. I pray, Lord, if it's your will, I could not have a job for another year because by not having a job, I'm really being a light and a witness. No, Lord, help me find a job. We always want out of the wilderness right away, and I'm the first one to say that. Get me out of the wilderness. But what happens is by being in the wilderness... God says, I'm using you, and and using you as a light and a witness. And you may say, how am I being a light and a witness in a wilderness time? Because people are watching you. They're watching you go through that difficult time, and as they watch you go through that difficult time, they stop and say, wow, God helped them through that, so therefore I see what God's doing. See, when David was in his wilderness, when David was in his cave, Do you remember what kept happening to David's group? What happened to it? It kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Here's a guy hiding out in a cave. Not the type of guy you would say, that's the person I want to follow. But they did. In fact, it says you don't need to turn there in 1 Samuel 22, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. See, every time David stayed in the wilderness or in the cave, his followers kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. God had David in the cave in the wilderness for a while so that way he could minister to other people. And in fact, when David became king, these lowlifes ruled with him. Now, isn't that a picture of Christianity? Jesus is in the wilderness of this world, and he keeps getting tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, and he says, you know what, I'm going to take you guys, make you born again, and you're going to rule and reign with me. See, that's what happens. But so often we're in the wilderness, the first thing we want to do is jump ship and say, get out of there. And God says, but James, I got you in the wilderness to refine you, to get your focus back on me. I've got you in the wilderness, so that way as you go through this struggle you can be a light and a witness through your struggle. It's like, man, I don't want to be a light and a witness through a struggle. I want to be a light and a witness through success. God says, no. If you look throughout the Bible, generally speaking, most everybody that we sit and focus on are the ones that went through tough times. I'm going through the book of Job right now, I think I've shared with you, and I'm just fascinated by the book of Job, that Job is going through this tough time, and yet I learned so much from his life. I learned so much more from David through the wilderness psalms than I do when everything is going great in the kingdom. In fact, with David, when everything was going good, he usually got himself in trouble. David actually did a little better being in the wilderness. And so what you have here in Psalm 63, David's in the wilderness, and what is he saying? I just want you, Lord. I just want you. And if you're in the wilderness, what's the two items you want more than anything? You want food and water, right? What did Jesus say? I'm the bread of life and I'm the water of life. So when you're in a spiritual wilderness and you want food and water, what does that really mean? You want Christ. And when you're going through a wilderness, you can call me and I can pray with you and I can talk to you, but sometimes it doesn't do any good. When you're going through a wilderness, you can get all your brothers and sisters in the Lord together and say, hey, can you help me here? And sometimes it doesn't do any good. Because when you're in a wilderness, sometimes the only thing that sustains you is Christ. Jesus is what gets you through. And that's why David writes in verses 1 and 2, you are my God. Early I will seek you. See, what's that early mean? I don't know if it's necessarily a time frame or more like an importance. Early. The first thing I want to do in the day is seek you, Lord. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. Dry and thirsty. Verse 2, I have looked for you in the sanctuary. See, I don't want to get into church attendance here because if you come on Wednesday night, we already know you're saved. But the truth of the matter is church attendance (laughs) shows heart it really does and when I see somebody going through a difficult time and I start to see them slip away from church it concerns me a little bit because if we're going through a difficult time verse 2 I've looked for you in the sanctuary there's a blessing of being together in a group and when I see somebody start telling me oh I don't need to go or oh this or oh that it's like oh no something's happening here Things pop up, things happen. I know that. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, you miss a week and everything's falling apart. But yet, there is that desire to be with the body, to be with each other, to encourage us. And when I run into somebody who says, Oh, what's the point of going? I don't get any encouragement on being with everybody else. It's like, man, something's going wrong with your heart there. Verse three, because your loving kindness is better than life. Now, you ever think about that? What's more important, your walk with Christ or your physical life? See, I have to be honest with you. Sometimes I think I put my physical life above my walk with Christ. I think subconsciously there's times where I say, Lord, boy, I want you to return. In the name of Jesus, return quick. Oh, but could you wait a little bit? Because I got this thing going on. I really want to do this. Nah, no, Lord, I don't know. I just want is loving kindness. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. I will remember you on my bed. I meditate on you in the night watches. Why is verse 6 in there? Because I think we toss and turn at night with worry. During the day, we do pretty good. There's always something going on, something to always keep our focus. But in verse 6, at night, it's quiet. We're laying there in bed, and next thing you know, we think about everything. What did she mean when she said that? What do you think he wants to talk about tomorrow? Man, that bill's going to be coming soon. And so at night... David says, meditate on the Lord. I had somebody tell me one time, the opposite of worry is meditate. Because when you worry, you're focused on the situation. When you meditate, you focus on the Lord. Verse 7, because you have been my help. There's that phrase again. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul falls close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, and the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Here's the repetitive thing that we've seen every single study so far. You don't need to go back to these verses. I'll just read them to you. Psalm 52.9, I will praise you forever. Psalm Psalm 54.6, I will praise your name. Psalm 63, what is he talking about again? I will praise you. Verse 5, and with my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. David is in a cave. He's in a wilderness. People are dying left and right. The people around him are in debt, distressed, disconnected, discontented. And David says, I'm just going to keep praising you, Lord. If the only thing you get out of this study here about David and Psalms is David praised God, not based on his circumstances, but based on God's character. He always gave it over to the Lord and prayer and praise, and we see that again and again and again. And if you're going through a tough time and depression and discouragement is getting you, have a time of praise. Yeah, it's important to be in the Word. Yeah, it's important to be in prayer, but it's important to have a time of praise. You know, why do we spend that time Sunday and Wednesday. You know Why did they get here early tonight to practice and do all that stuff? It's because it's important to have a time of praise before we get into the Word to say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to praise you for who you are and say, thank you, God, for what you're doing. And it's easy to not praise, isn't it? It's easy to let circumstances get the best of us. Look at all the action in verse 63. This is what I want to finish with. He says, I'm going to seek you. I thirst for you. I long for you, I will praise you, I will meditate, and I will rejoice. Psalm 63 are 11 verses packed full of action. See, when you're going through a tough time, and you're in the cave, you're in the wilderness, it's dry, it's thirsty, you don't see God working, things are falling apart around you, it is really easy to sit there, twiddle your thumbs, and say, woe is me, Petty party, No one understands. No one gets it. My life just keeps falling apart. Everything is bad. Everything is horrible. It is really easy to do that. Where what you see in Psalm 63 is David taking action. I'm going to seek the Lord. I thirst for the Lord. I long for the Lord. I look for the Lord. I praise the Lord. There's that great verse in the book of James that says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. That's a promise. When you put effort into your walk with the Lord, good, honest effort, God says, I'll be there for you. I really will be there for you. And you see this in these psalms that we went through tonight. David's life is falling apart. He's being chased. People are dying. But he says, I praise you. I seek you. I love everything in your hands. And I trust that you are going to get me through this. And God does. It's an amazing thing. And God absolutely does. Does so anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and uh, close up here with a word of prayer? Kathy? Himself the king. Yeah, but the king shall rejoice in God. Yeah, that's the thing is we got to remember with David, he's anointed king. He knows, he knows he's the king, and and I think his first lesson we went through this. He didn't force God's timetable. God said, "You're my king, and I'll, you'll be my king." When God, at this point, David doesn't know. That's a good point, Kathy. I didn't catch that. That the king shall rejoice in God. I like that. David is having patience, knowing that it's going to be okay. I like that point. Anybody else have anything they want to say here before we close up? Okay. Now, last week I listened to the message, and you guys had like ten minutes of comments and questions and stuff. And Rich had to sh- shut up, John. It's too late. And 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 Rich and Rich had to. Sh- I you've already interrupted me once tonight. See now, look at this. You're giving me feedback, man. You're giving me feedback. You butted ahead with the whole Levi thing, and now you have something to say. Go ahead. It's all yours. Go ahead. Never mind. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, anybody, final questions, comments here? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we come to you tonight. Thank you for this time. And, Lord, if there is somebody here tonight in the wilderness, in the cave, encourage them, uplift them, get them through this. And, Lord, please help us not to let that anger and frustration get the best of us, Lord, to truly give those trials and tribulations over to you. And we trust you, Lord. You are our help And we trust you, Lord, in all ways and all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if we could perhaps